to another episode of MJ's Progress Not Perfection. Today's guest is Bobby, and Bobby's got about two and a half years clean. He was a perpetual relapser. You know, basically, he would get a couple months clean, relapse, couple months clean, rehabs, rehab visit, relapse, rehab visit, relapse. It's a lot of people's story, you know. A lot of people have that story. Relapse is part of a lot of people's recovery process, unfortunately, but being self-aware is a good thing, and that's something that he is. And it's an important thing to keep yourself in check, and we get into that a lot. We talk about a lot of things from, you know, addiction years, you know, some similarities we had in each other, and uh, all the way to recovery and how we go about recovery. It's a little bit different, and it's not as standard as everybody else's, but it's not supposed to be. It's our recovery. Either way, I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the show, though. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, the, uh, appreciate you having me, man. Appreciate yeah, you having me. Bobby, right? Yep. Yep. And how many? How much sober time do you have? What recovery time? Uh, right now I got about two and a half years. Two and a half. And what was like your big drug of choice? Uh, heroin. Heroin. Okay. And I'm sure you didn't start with heroin. Yeah. So it started uh, basically like with alcohol and pain pills. When did you uh, uh, really get into it, first start drinking? Um, I would say started maybe about 18. I'm 28 now. Um, and then I got into pills probably about 20. And then once I got into pills, that really took took a hold of me and uh, led me down that dark path. And um, for years, man, all I could do was accumulate three months at a time of sobriety without relapse. And then for years, that was just my cycle and cycle until this time. And uh, I'd done a self-inventory uh, check on myself and realized if I want things to change, it's got to change within myself first. So that's where yeah. it all started. Yeah, definitely. So what what was it about alcohol that it only lasted two years? Like some people, they go a lot longer with drinking before they get into pills. But it seems like you started drinking at 18 and then within two years, you were just, like, over it and moved on? Yeah, so uh, it was basically like um, I'd be around my friends and we would drink. And then um, some years went by, two years, and um, got offered some pain pills. Uh, I took them, and then um, I realized that my dad, he was an addict as well for most of his life. And um, he had prescriptions and um basically music influenced me a lot to go down that path by hearing what they're saying and i took everything to heart as you know you shouldn't and um yeah so i would just basically steal my dad's pills and um yeah that's how it was for years until he found out and then it was on to the next thing the next person i could get it from no with even before you even got into pills um with drinking did you ever have any of, like, those nights or those days or those bingers that, like, went on for way too long that you knew you had, like, a problem with drinking? Or was it just, like, uh, feel like a party face? Yeah, so, honestly, I didn't even think I had a problem. Um, like I said, at first, I'd be drinking with friends. But uh, towards the end, it'd be one of those things. I'd get a bottle and just sit in my room and drink it and play video games and uh, didn't really think much of it until years down the line but yeah at the time uh, i didn't really think much of it but uh yeah i would go on binges of days of drinking waking up drinking and go to sleep drinking and uh yeah were you working during those times um no i was actually uh doing a little side hustle i was selling weed um 
But yeah, so I wasn't working at the time. Yeah. Living under my mom's roof, doing that, so. Yeah, it made it probably even easier to just do that when you have that kind of like, you don't have to be up for work. Yeah, it gave me that peace of mind. Yeah, and when your I'm job is just to sell some bud, then uh, yeah. you, know, <laughs> you could be drunk right. for that. Right. He's going to complain to HR about that. Exactly. Who's going to say anything, you know? Now, what pills did you get into? I got um, first. That, like, because you said, like, it was on when you first did it. Like, what kind of pill was it? Because that's well, what I, I was into. It started with um, Xanax and Klonopins and things like that. Um, so I would basically, those. yeah, so I would just uh basically go for forgetting my night so that's what every night was for years it's just uh a blur now um bits and pieces remember but uh yeah i was uh taking those and um i eventually started smoking those and uh then i leaded towards uh pain pills after the xanax yeah i was in the roxy 30s mm, yep yep for um like nine and a half years wow like daily, yeah. Mm, yeah, I know how those are. That'll, so, that'll get... Xanax would be mixed in there too. You know what I mean? I would mix the Xanax yeah. in there too. And every time I mix, every time I did Xanax, I got into some kind of trouble. You Dude. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, did you ever get, like, Xanax made me black out and, like, steal shit? Like, I don't yeah. know what it was. <laughs> but, like, I'd black out and I'd steal and I wouldn't even know what I was doing. I'd come to and I'd be like, I don't. And, and like, I did. I'd be getting arrested, you know, and I'm like, I uh, don't remember doing that, but I believe you. You know, I was a right. dumb, I was a dumb criminal when I was on Xanax. You know, like uh-huh. go to the closest pawn shop possible. Like that's some dumb shit. Yeah. Like you know, you don't do that when you're like actually thinking, you know, about yeah, consequences. Exactly. exactly. It's all about you're not thinking of the consequences. Of Did you ever get in trouble with Xanax? Um. Yeah. So luckily, I've never been arrested uh luckily but um one of the times that i can remember um i was going out with a buddy around my neighborhood and we was getting into people's cars just to steal their change and like the second or third car the cops rolled up and uh, picked me up and luckily i only had a little bit of change on me so i didn't really have much so they just ended up dropping me back off my house um but yeah, luckily I never got in a whole bunch of trouble off the Xanax besides the things that internally I've done to myself. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah, I end up having some damage to like my pancreas and like my gallbladder from like uh-huh. all of the Xanax and all of the pills and all the drinking. Like my gallbladder was just removed. My pancreas is having, uh-huh. still having, I'm three years clean from touching any of those pills and I'm still having pancreatic attacks. Dang. So, and the gallbladder came out two months ago. <laughs> so, but, you know, I didn't need to take any pain pills when I had the gallbladder out. You Thankfully, know, yeah. mm-hmm. they, they did shoot me up with fentanyl when I told them not to. Wow. Um, and I woke up high and I knew I was high and Ooh. I called them out on it. And they're like, oh, yeah, you looked uncomfortable. And then I was like, do you understand what's going to happen to my body? And they're like, you're going to be fine. We know how to administer it. I'm like, no, I'm an addict. Like, this yeah. is going to. Like, you just put four incisions in my stomach, and I'm going to withdraw. They're like, no, you're not. You said you haven't done anything in three years, so you're not going to withdraw. I'm like, you don't know anything about addiction then. Be- you know what I mean? Because as soon yeah. as it was an outpatient surgery, as soon as I got to the, the parking lot with my wife, I started throwing up next to my car. And, and it wasn't like 
growing up from anesthesia, it was vile. It was withdrawal growing up. Mm. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that lasted for 18 hours. I threw up like that for 18 hours, withdrawing. Like sweats, cold sweat. I immediately went into withdrawal again. And and it had been over three years. So I had to like hold like a throw pillow to my stomach and shit every time I would have to throw up. This way it wouldn't like rip, rip open the incisions. You know, mm. I didn't. I didn't know. Like, I never had surgery before, and I called my right. grandma. And she's in her 80s, and I'm like, "When you had your gallbladder out, how was it?" She was like, "Oh, I was vacuuming that day. I felt great." So I was like, "Oh, shit. okay. Then it's definitely this isn't a side effect. You know, me get. I was yeah. like, you didn't throw up at all. You didn't throw up any bile." She was like, "No, that's not good. You have incisions. You shouldn't be throwing up." I'm like, "I know. <laughs> like, <laughs> I like, I know oh my this." Gosh. You know, and and for, that's an unfortunate thing. Like it's almost uh, scary to go to a hospital, have a surgery because of something like that. I mean, you just never yeah, know. That, that's why the Vivitrol people they have to wear like the necklace and they have to wear the bracelet, mm. saying like, "Don't give me anything because I'm going to get sick because I have a shot of Vivitrol in me." Uh-huh. Like I have a sponsee and he has the Vivitrol shot and he wears that bracelet and he wears the necklace because he's like fuck these doctors if they did that shit to you they don't like me as it is from being a drug addict for so long around here i go in there you know i don't know what they're gonna do i want to make sure i'm covered if they try to shoot me up and i have my bracelet on this way i can sue their ass oh, yeah. exactly <laughs> he's like i don't trust that shit he goes even if i stop getting the shot i'm wearing the bracelet i don't care i don't want them to give it to me no i would too i want to know where i can get one of those bracelets now <laughs> you got to get a vivitrol shot they give it to your friend compliments of a shot in the ass once a month <laughs> oh yeah those are nice feels like yeah. a golf ball in your ass i've had that, one of those you did yeah uh, years ago i was in uh rehab in georgia and um when i was leaving they gave me a vivitrol shot when i left and mm, hurt my ass for days he had like, a golf ball sized lump on his ass, uh, according to him, because he's here every, you know, I don't, you know, he's here every day. So he would sit down for the meetings and he, and I gave him a cushion for his one seat that he always sits in. This way he'd be more comfortable because the first right. three weeks he's like, dude, I still have a lump on my ass. I still have a lump. But <laughs> we had to call the MAP program together for them to be like, yeah, you're good. It's supposed to be like that. Like, don't worry. Um, how long did you get to take the Vivitrol for? Just so once? Um, yeah, honestly, just once. They had it set up where I, um, I would have been able to get it back home, but I never followed up with that. So it was just a one and done. But the Vivitrol, it was amazing. Uh, definitely something, um, you know, if I was struggling in the future, I would definitely go back to it. Uh, yeah, appetite. Off. He said his app, he said it, it curved like his, um, like, yeah. yeah. He has yeah, the cravings. Not. Yeah, it doesn't have like a craving to get high or yeah, a craving like, to drink. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. So, yeah, he said that helped a lot. That works for alcohol too as well, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, that's especially he actually is an alcoholic with meth. You know, okay. like his drug of choice was meth and alcohol led him to meth. And usually when you get a Vivitrol, it kind of like steers people towards meth. Um, but I subtly just reminded him recently that all the meth around here has fentanyl in it. So if he did relapse, he would be sick as shit from the fentanyl inside the meth. And right. so, you know, luckily he, he is not thinking about it. He's, he's coming here every day, sometimes twice a day. That's so, awesome. Yeah. He's got like two months and you know how it is early on when you're that, oh, enthused, yeah. you know, you, you, you need someone to lean on during that time. Yeah. He's got a kid two months away from, you know what I mean? The kids do. Oh, wow. Too. 
so you know he's got and it'll be his fifth kid but the first one he has like custody of when they're born because of being an addiction for the other ones so yeah it's definitely a good thing um so was there like an inciting incident like that caused you to go to rehab in georgia or is that the only rehab you've been to uh i've been to two rehabs i've been to one in georgia and one in west palm florida um tell me about what led you to the first one then was that your choice or someone else's uh it was my choice i went into a inpatient place for a detox it was seven days and then my insurance i was on my mom's insurance at the time and that allowed me to go to a rehab out of state so i got to pick between georgia california and i think maryland i chose the georgia it was out in the wilderness it was beautiful um i went out there and spent uh, about 40 days by the time i left i was one of the leaders in the group um i done worked my way to the top and uh, done everything i was supposed to um and then i came home from that and i stayed sober for probably another three or four months and what caused me to go into the rehab in the first place was obviously um, i knew my life was unmanageable and i just had a had a son uh, maybe a couple months before that so i was trying to get well for him um so when it was all said and done i left the rehab i stayed clean for a couple more months and then i ended up uh relapsing back on the heroin um so i had what 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 was the reason i like hearing why people relapse i think it's important Uh, to talk about relapses for anybody that because relapse is part of recovery Uh you know it doesn't have to be but it, it really is a lot of it yeah so the reason for that relapse was um, I wasn't really in tune with my feelings or emotions. So, uh, in the past, the way I would deal with my feelings or, or emotions, just bottle them down and just get high. So that's one thing looking back that I never did fix in rehab was, uh, learning to accept my emotions and how I feel. And I, that's just, you know, a normal part of life. Um, I remember, uh, something was going on with my son. He had an ear infection at the time. So he was, uh, extremely whiny and um, it was just a lot for me to deal with just getting back from rehab and I didn't know how to deal with it uh, so that and then all the responsibilities of coming home and um, you know trying to put food on the table it was uh, it took a toll on me and instead of explaining and telling people how I felt I just bottled it in and decided to get high and that one time uh, led to a couple more months on the run down the road now are you are do you live with your baby mom with your with your baby's mom or do at the you time I was. okay so at the time you were and then you started getting high again is she anywhere anybody think about recovery was she an addict before did you guys like because so, it's weird to it's for me it always seems weird for like somebody in addiction to meet like a normie and then, you know what I mean? Like, cause you know, we isolate so much that it's like kind of hard sometimes to meet somebody like regular, unless like you grew up with them. Uh-huh. That's the, that's always the exception to the rule is you, that person knew you as a kid and you grew up with them. So they see you for that person, not for who you are today. And, and when I say today, I mean in addiction. So how did you guys meet? Yeah, so I guess she'd be part of that exception because me and her went to high school together. She lived two houses down from me, so we high school sweethearts. Yeah. And then she went to college and then 
came back from college and we hooked up a few times and those few times is uh yeah. how we got our boy all it took um so okay that makes more sense to me because i figured you know that's that's that would make sense she would come back from college and not know you were using because when she left you were maybe just a partier you drank a little bit you know and that was normal for for 18 19 was to go out and drink Mm -hmm. so maybe pop a pill here and there so that even wouldn't have raised a red flag and obviously if you knew you were going to go see an old girl from high school you're not going to go and have a needle in your arm when you show up exactly yeah. You're going to make sure you're exactly. high enough that your eyes are open, but, like, high enough that you're not withdrawing either. Right. And you're not yep. going to dip out on her. That medium. So, yeah, I knew I, I knew that high, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where, like, for me, I did 30s. So, like, every time I was going to hang out with, like, something normal from, like, high school or something like that, and I didn't want to present high, I would do, like, 130. Enough that I wouldn't be in withdrawal. But also enough that, like, you know, I can feel it, too, you know, like a little bit, just just yep. enough. And this way they wouldn't see my eyes being, like, all high or I wouldn't be, like, passing out on them or something like that. Right. But, you have to come alive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, eventually it, you have to do that all the time. Like, I feel like towards the end of addiction, it's just like you're not even getting high anymore. You're just, like, getting right. Getting well. Know? Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. You say getting well, getting right, everyone. Yeah, just you right, you do it. <laughs> yeah, you're not even like high. You know what I mean? You're like, oh no, I just feel normal now. Yeah, just but going you, through the motions. But you had to get high in order to feel normal. That was like the insanity of it. It was like, I feel so bad right now that I have to get high in order just to feel regular. You know, because right. I don't feel any different today than I did at the end of my addiction when I'd be high. <laughs> I swear, I swear, man. Except I'm not, like, depressed and I don't want to kill myself anymore, so that's cool. Right, I actually have control of my life today. Yeah, now, when you went on that second run, um, were you still living with her? And, like, sneakily getting high? Or, because, like, sometimes it's hard to... It's easy to kind of hide alcohol sometimes, but, like, dope is a different story, especially now that fentanyl's been introduced to the area. Like, people get high, they get high, you know? Yeah. So, um, obviously, once I went to the first rehab and came back, she knew something was going on. Before then, she kind of had an idea but didn't really know. But after I went to the first rehab, I kind of put it all out there, what I was doing and what I was trying to do. So, when I got home, um, she watched me with a close eye. I, uh, I lived with her at first. And then, after the first rehab, when I came back, I was living with my mom i would just go over to see my son um ever a couple every couple days and she was living with her mom at the time um so i would just come over there and hang out um but once i it got to a point you know once you're high so many times it's kind of like you don't give a fuck so i'd go over there and she'd be able to see my eyes be able to tell my movement her whole family knew that something was up um, and I basically, at that point, I was pushed into a wall and didn't know what to do. So that's when I flew out to the next rehab. So that was, you felt like there was pressure, like, oh, they're going to catch on. They're, I'm going to get called out on this soon. I might as well just set myself off and just admit it before someone comes at me. Yep, I'm going to get called. I'm not going to be able to see my son. My rights are going to be taken. So I figured, let me just go handle this now and hopefully get it handled. Yeah. Now, what made you um, go to Florida instead of Georgia this time? Um, 
because I, so for the Georgia one, uh, my rehab, or not my rehab, but my insurance, uh, basically I called my insurance and they kind of gave me the runaround of who I can go through. That was um, my guess. Yep. So then I contacted some people and I um, got in contact with a, uh, kind of like a marketer for um, rehabs in Florida. And then I got in contact with the, the rehab I was at. Uh, which is no longer open due to uh, all kinds of uh, fraud um, down there yeah. at that time. Now, wait, if you were if you were down there in 2014, but you got about two and a half years, my math tells me <laughs> that we're not that one of your story. Yep, so that, was that was your second rehab stay. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, so they, your kid's seven then. Uh, he's six. Six. Okay. Yeah. Mike and so my, math might be, my math might be. No, that's fine. Probably. But still, but still, either way, you get back from rehab for the second visit, and then uh-huh. how how much time did you accrue this time? You said about three months again. Uh, so this time, I actually for the first time I had about seven months when I went home. And when I went home, it was it was great. It lasted maybe probably not even a week before I relapsed back on heroin. Um, I even, so wait, when I got, you were, you had seven months in Florida. Yep. And then, but that was in a safe environment in a halfway yep. house, going to meetings mm-hmm. and requirements, doing therapy, all that shit. And yep. then you're doing sobriety every day. Then you come home. Is it people? What, what were you, were you with an old friend? Yeah. So an old friend just texted me out of the blue. One of the one of my old dealers and that's all it took is I seen that and uh, I basically already got high in my mind before it happened and then boom. What did he text you? He said, hey, what's up? Uh, I've seen that you're home. Uh, What you need? Something along the lines of of that and literally that was all it took seven months down the drain just from just a couple days of being home. What? My mindset was what an absolute shithead, though. Like, right. I, I see your home, you know, parentheses, from rehab. I see your home, seeing if you want any. And I thought he was the best friend for years after that. It's... The, my, hear, my I'm, go, I'm going to want to hear more about that, dude. Yep, that's for sure. But we'll get back. So, ah, that pisses me off so much, man. Mm-hmm. Like, that... Like, at least, like, I'll give, so I thought I was, like, good friends with my dealer, too, towards the end, like, my last dealer, you know, because the thing is, you talk to them every day. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, hey, what's up, man, how you doing? Hey, you good? All right, cool, I'll come by. And then you bullshit with them for 10 minutes. Yeah, smoke a, a cigarette. Talk, you smoke a cigarette, you bullshit, whatever. Um, and my, but the difference, I don't, I, it sounds like, I bet you your dude uses. Oh, of course. Okay, so that's, I knew that, Okay. And the reason I knew that, I knew that because only a user would do that. Um, You know, a businessman, a businessman who sells and doesn't use never would have brought you back like that. Mm -hmm. Like, like my dude, he wasn't a user. So like I called him um, two days before I went to rehab and I was like, bro, like I got to go. Like I, I got a chance to go to rehab, you know, it's in California and I got to go. Um, I don't know what to do because I owe you $1,800. Yeah. 
you know, I, because I, he would spot me, and then I would pay him back, and then he would spot right. me, and then I, and I would, I would middle for him, so he would take money off and all that shit. Gotcha. And um, so he was like, dude, if you come back and ask me for pills, you owe me the eighteen hundred. And if you come back and I don't hear from you, that's what I expect, and that's what I hope for. Wow. And I haven't heard from him since. It's been three and a half years. We don't talk. We just and yeah, we don't. Yeah, that's the difference between, you know, somebody who is dealing but actually cares and makes money but cares. Yeah. He made a ton of money. In a weird way. That 1800 that I owed him was, let's be real, it was all juice. You know what I mean? It was all yeah. like, you know, like, hey, spot me five and I'll pay you back 300. You know, uh -huh. when really he got his money back at 125 and it was just the extra, you know, juices. Right. So, you know, a majority of that was juice anyway, and I made him a ton of money. I found him a ton of customers, you know. So it, he wasn't – that's why I think there was a human element to him with, like, all right, dude, I know you've been struggling. Like, I know you've even been talking even about suicide. Like, yeah, go get help. Like, because I've even right. – and when I was contemplating suicide, who do you contemplate to? Your dealer who will then give you drugs to make you feel better. Huh. You know, that's a manipulation tactic. But it wasn't. I wasn't trying to manipulate. He was just the only person I was talking to. You right. know? I wasn't even trying to manipulate ever. He was never giving me free shit because I was going to kill myself. You know, I was always two hours away when I was talking to him about that. I used to have to drive two hours to see him, and then yeah. drive two hours back. And I would do that trip like four days a week without even thinking about it, man. You know, All like right. that's that's the and I and I found out I'm not the only when I was in rehab. Um, the one dude that was in there with me, he was driving two hours to sit in Baltimore and get dope in Baltimore. Wow. Yeah, and just, like, get high in the McDonald's parking lot in the truck, and then once he w came to, he would drive back home again. And, like, that that's the difference, because I never did dope, so I stuck with pills. That's why I did pills for 10 years, because I thought I was in control. Yeah, you know, I used a little bit better than the, the other users. Well, no, I just... I... When... I always ask this question. When did you know you were an addict? Um, like, when did you know that you're addicted? And what was it addicted to that you were like, oh, I need this. I'm addicted to this. Um, it was probably heroin. And once I went through one of my first uh, withdrawals, because at the time I didn't know what, a, what really a withdrawal was, because I wasn't super heavy into anything else for that compared to that so it was uh mind-blowing yeah it is my yeah it is a totally different you know thing that people don't even realize what a withdrawal is, especially from opiates like yeah. the, the, the movies do represent it right the keeled mm -hmm. over the you know knees to the chest i mean the sweats um they they don't get into how bad the bathroom stuff is ever I'm but sorry, yeah yeah the, but like the shitting the disgusting shit you have to do in order to even shit sometimes you know yeah. because it's it's not good it That's is not real. a good situation man and you know it's a two-hour event once a week you know <laughs> that was and you fucking dreaded it every time sometimes and you're, right. just, you're like well all right well let me get a good movie a long movie to find to watch right now because this is gonna be about a two to three hour thing you know yeah especially when you know it's coming yeah yeah, and you know, it's like, all right, the water broke. I'm, I haven't given birth soon. It's on the way. Yeah. <laughs> like, where we am I feeling? 
Yeah, my one buddy is lucky. He, he used to, every time he, he did a line, he had a shit right away. He never wow. had those pains. He was one of those people, and I've heard of, uh, I interviewed another girl. It was actually my newest episode yesterday. She said the same thing. Every time she did a line, she had to shit. Wow. So she never had that problem that we had, that most addicts have with, that like, stomach. Like, that's, mm. how Elvis, that's how Elvis died, is opiate shits. Yeah. People don't people don't yeah. talk about it enough. You know, when we're growing up, we hear he had a heart attack. Nah, on the heart to- attack and, on the toilet. And that's, like, the joke. But, no, the, the real situation is he was trying to push out a giant softball of shit from opiates and fucking had a heart attack. That's what really happened, and I can relate to that. Yeah, I was definitely. I was always afraid to end up like Elvis and, like, have someone find me dead. I'm a, I'm a big dude. You know, so like it could have happened, you know, after 10 right. years of using. And, and all that just straddle it, like, please don't let this be the last, please. Seriously, that's the all, all the times I thought I was going to die when I was in addiction, it was that. It was never from like overdosing. It was, I thought I was going to have a heart attack, bro. And it's gross, but it, it's, that was it's part, part of addiction. Of it. Yeah, part like, of it. Like, ah, oh, man. All right. Let's let's get back on track and with all, right. all this shit. <laughs> all right, because I want I want to. So now this fuckface hits you up and he's like, "Hey man, come get high with me, basically, right?" Yep. So um, he pulls up and uh, we probably had about a thirty minute talk and he's asking me about my rehab and how that went and um, yeah, that was the end of that. And then probably not even a week later, I was back over at his house. Um, hanging out, getting high, and uh, that's basically where it all began, is I would just run to his house and then go get high and just basically shut my phone off and just stay there for days. And so then it was back to that after that first time, probably a week or two later. You'd show up for your kid when, like, you knew you were supposed to, but yeah. besides that, you weren't available. You know, your ex tried hit your girl tried hitting you up, be like, hey, I need you to do this. Like, she couldn't get a hold of you. Yeah, so, I mean, like, at first, I was there, even, I was dabbling with the, with the heroin, I'd still go see my son, but a few months went by, and, um, I was no shawl, no coat, no, no call, no show every time, um, so then she, uh, then I wasn't able to see my son for probably almost a year, so when I got back from rehab, it was in September, um, and by, by a month, she, uh, within two months later, like the beginning of, uh, the middle of November, uh, she basically told me that she wasn't going to let me see my son until I got clean. Um, and I basically tried to tell her everything I could to, um, make the situation better and it didn't work. So months go by, I'm still getting high. It's Christmas. Um, I didn't get my son presents, but my mom did. So I was going to honestly act like they was from me. I said, hey, I got, I bought, I bought uh, our son some Christmas presents I want to bring over. And uh, she wouldn't even let that happen. So um, that's basically the beginning of me getting sober is once I realized that my life was unmanageable. I'm breaking every bridge um, and something needed to change. But uh, that was another thing I would... After it was all said and done, I got clean for three or four months, and then it was back to a relapse. And that's just how it was for uh, probably another two years or so. 
is you would get like three months together and then you would relapse again get three months clean relapse every time you were getting three months what were you doing to get three months um white knuckle on it for the most part i mean um my mindset wasn't really good i wasn't really doing anything differently than what i was before besides uh i blocked the person's number and didn't have contact with him and i didn't know how to get a hold of him at that point but until he popped back up then i would go back and then it was always i'd find some little way or an excuse that sounded good in my head to where i could go back out because he lives nearby correct correct and are you like in one of those like small towns where you could easily see them like getting smokes or something like that like at a store like convenience store or uh so indianapolis it's pretty big so um oh that's good you're in the city okay yeah yeah so i moved moved around a lot but um i always found a way to get to him whether it was an uber a lift uh any anything yeah i don't yeah. find that way yeah, I mean, when you want it bad enough, you're going to find a way, let's be real. I mean, oh, yeah. but that that's the same thing for sobriety, though. Like, if you mm-hmm. want to be sober bad enough, you're going to be sober. You know yep. what I mean? Yep. Like, it is definitely, you know, someone's always, you know, I've always had, like, the needs and wants conversations with people. Like, you know, needing to be sober is not going to work. Needing to be sober is needing it for your kids or for your ex or for whatever actually wanting it is like something that you take ownership of and you work hard at it and when you work just as hard to be sober as you did to get high it works yeah yeah like once you realize everything that you done to get that drug and you change that around for sobriety game changer game yeah changer. i i used to you know how i said i drove two hours to see my dude you know what i mean all the time and then when I got back from rehab, I went to Cali, and when I came back to PA, I found a meeting specifically an hour away, and I would drive to that meeting twice a week. Um, not because it was the closest one, but just it was like my way of driving far for sobriety, like I drove far to get high. I like that. Mm. You know, it gave me a chance to think about shit, you know what I mean, each time and go over. It was like, that was my meditation time was driving, you know, like... Mm-hmm. and where you think of everything let everything come in i'd put the windows down the radio off smoke a few cigarettes and just cruise and yeah. just let my mind clear out and just like start filing through and processing all the information like all right that goes here this goes there you know compartmentalizing yeah. all the information i just got and it was a, definitely a great way to like you know do it that way because i got end up i would get so much more from a meeting because you had time to process it yeah, the way home, you got the hour just to think about it. Yeah, and, and it, yeah, I like I I used to like walking home from meetings when I was in LA because you know it gave you time to think. So that's kind of where like I got that of like, you know what? I'm gonna have the windows. I'm just gonna shut up and turn the radio off and just like listen to like you know, and that was always really good for me. Is that what the difference was for you? Was meetings finally? Did you finally hit meetings? Um, I did hit meetings and um. So, let me see where I'm at in the story. So, well, okay, right now, let's see. You are relapsing every three months, all right? Now, your what's your sober date? Uh, as of right now, it is yeah. uh, May 3rd of 2019. All right, what happened May 2nd? Um, 
Well, May 2nd, I would say that I was in the process of trying to uh, get into like a counselor place to talk to someone. Um, yeah, so, and, yeah, give me those last couple months leading up to that. You know what I mean? Because okay. that's, that's what I'm curious of, of what that final breaking point after a month after, you know, all those relapses. What, what was that final couple months or last month looking like for you? So the last month, I would say I was, um, I got kicked out of, uh, I had a new girlfriend at the time and I got kicked out of there for drugs. So I was living at my grandpa's. Um, and my, my kicking point was I was, uh, taking his credit card, debit card and just running it dry without him knowing. And, uh, my dad lived there at the time. So I kind of threw it off on my dad. He, he wouldn't think I would do it, but he'd more think my dad would do it. So I'd push towards that. And, um, it got bad, man. I would, uh, while he was sleeping, I would literally crawl in his room and get in the pants he was wearing that the day before, man, and just pull out his wallet. And just once I'd done that for the last time, I was like, what the hell am I doing? But then one time after that, I took one of his checks and wrote a check to my dealer and my dealer's uh, girlfriend went to cash it. And once she cashed it, she called him and I heard her scream and I done knew what was up. She comes in and obviously they know that I wrote the check and it wasn't my grandpa. Then my grandpa ends up coming over to my uh, dealer slash friend's house um, with my dad and they basically sit me down and uh, basically talk to me and he tells me how disappointed he was in me and uh, I've never heard, I was always like his number one man, my grandpa. So hearing hearing that from him, from him it, it uh, really hit home. Um, and then after that, um, I, I started living back at my mom's and probably not even five months later, my grandpa passed away. Um, so not being able to mend that bridge like I wanted to for years, it, it just sat on me hard. Um, but I would say like, that was what like kind of got me to, okay, I got to do something different than what I'm doing now if I want something to change. So that was the final and last point. So he passed right before you started like getting like doing it and doing it? Yep. So I was starting to give him a little bit of money and he just really wasn't showing me no love because I mean, who would, you know, your grandson, the one you love stole thousands of dollars from you and you know, you're just disappointed. And so, yeah, by the time he passed, I wasn't able to uh, telling, be able to mend it how I wanted to, and to make official back. amends. Amends, yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh-huh. but you, but you were sober though. Correct, correct. So okay, that's that good. I got sober. Yep. Okay, yep. that that you know, and you know, living amends are still a good thing to have. You know what I mean? Of course. You know, like there's plenty of people that I wish that they could have seen me sober. You know, including both my grandparents, because my one, you know, my namesake, you know what I mean? I'm the fourth in my family. That's why I'm JD. And uh, my my grandfather, um, he drank a lot and he quit cold turkey, like just stopped, you know, didn't wasn't a meeting person. He just stopped and he kept a six pack in his fridge until the day he died. You know what I mean? Just like as like a reminder, like I don't, you know, and he didn't care about that. Um, But anyway, like so. I, I'm, he didn't see me sober. You know, I was drinking back then. I was even using back then, my, you know, and that's 2012. He passed both of my grandfathers passed within two weeks of each other back in 2012. 
Yeah, it was a rough year that year. Like, grief and me go together for my story. Like, uh-huh. my my drinking and using is rooted in grief and loss. That started when I was 12, you know? So, with grief and loss, you know, whenever it happens so often, it's almost like it was an excuse to keep going. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? With addiction. You know, I had lost one of my best friends in a car accident in June 2012. Like, me and him were inseparable when we were growing up. Like, I mean, and I was... I was so done when that happened, like just emotionally broken. Um, and then in September, um, another kid that we went to high school with, you know, randomly died of a heart attack, not even drugs, but a heart attack. Um, and then, yeah, a couple weeks, my grandfathers both got sick at the same time, both came home from hospice on the same day. And what my, it's even crazier. My mom's dad, my mom's dad passed away on my dad's mom's birthday on September 23rd. Yeah, so my mom's dad passed away on my dad's mom's birthday. And then my dad's dad passed away two weeks later on my brother's birthday. Whoa. Yeah. And my brother and my grandfather were closer than anybody in the family. And he passed away on my brother's birthday. And that was the grand, that was the grandkid out of the five of five of us that he was the closest with so it's so cr- and then hurricane sandy fucked, then hurricane sandy fucked up both of their houses two weeks later because they lived on the shore all year round both my grandparents so both my grandmoms haven't lived in those houses since then they moved both moved out and got other places and shit holy but yeah shit, so yeah man like grief and loss is like part of my story where like that was always my go-to excuse to go get higher go get drunk again so you know i i i can relate to that for sure because like losing anybody especially somebody that you know looks highly of you oh yeah you know and then you feel like you disappointed them that right. like, wasn't hurt. it yeah yeah, yeah that hurts the inside mm-hmm. yep so yeah i i hear i know exactly what you mean by that dude now when you decide, what made you decide to do AA this time? Was it because of going to meetings and rehab and you kind of liked them and you wanted to give it a try again or? Um, so, um, what happened was, uh, I was basically just ready to try something different than what I was doing and, um, meetings seemed to work at first. I mean, I mean, granted now I don't go to meetings, um, but I believe in it 110%, uh, cause I went there and as long as you, you know, take the uncomfortable action and do it and actually apply it to yourself, then that's when it started working for me. Like, I would walk an hour one way in the 100-degree heat just to go to a meeting. And that's when I told myself, like, yeah, this this is what I'm supposed to be doing, and this is this is why I'm here. Yeah, I've been there. The L.A. heat, dude. My I was first sober in LA and that was like the first four months of my sobriety and I didn't have a car out there and I was walking to a lot of meetings because I couldn't Uber everywhere that's for sure so I walked right. to a lot you know it's almost like you didn't want to Uber to the ones that you could walk to because you're gonna have to Uber to the ones you're gonna have to drive to yeah you know <laughs> and you want to save for those but and I mean like I was, you said uh when like one of those ones I take an hour there and an hour back like the hour back you know you just sit there and I just go over the meeting in your head and uh, I basically just uh, pick and choose, take things from it that uh, would help me. And that's what I've done. And 
uh, to this day, I still think, you know, AA and NA still have a big impact on my recovery because things I've learned in there, little sayings or uh, just things people would do, uh, I still use to this day to uh, just keep me going. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, you know, our, our meeting center is we use a lot of things from there. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. I, t- I take my favorite parts from the meetings. You know, it's pretty much like I enjoy crosstalk meetings. You know, Sorry. Where, Sorry. where it's a lot of just like going back and forth and just like talking about your day and shit like that or relating to each other. I enjoy that kind of atmosphere. So that's basically what we do is just a bunch of crosstalk, open forum meetings. Oh, that's cool. That's sweet. You know, we don't do chips or anything because it's a pressure that sometimes it makes people fold. Yeah, you know, yeah. I you know, and I, you know, agree with that. You know, I have a, I have a whole thing of chips. You know. If someone wants a chip, you know, I have chips for them. You know, I have plenty of chips that I've collected over the years. So, like, I just gave out a 90-day chip to a dude the other day, you know, that came here, and he got 90 days for the first time. And I was like, well, if you want a chip, dude, I'll grab you one. He goes, yeah, you know what? I would. So I came back here, and I found one, you know. And because some people do like that, but not everybody does. And the whole calling it out in the beginning is the pressure that, like, I thrived under it. But I'm not everybody, you know, and everyone has a different kind of recovery. Yeah, so, and I was like, scared to death, man. I was scared to death to go out there and pick up that uh, that uh, 24-hour chip. Yeah, that first newcomer chip, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, because, you know, everyone's like, oh, what's his story? Why is yep, he- yep. How bad uh-huh. is it? Right, I was afraid everybody was going to come up to me after the meeting, and obviously all those fears just uh, are in your head. They're not real, yeah. so... And they do come, they do come up to you, but like in mm-hmm. a in a positive way. Yeah, not like, in the way. Like, like, hey, I'm glad to meet you, Bobby. Please come back tomorrow. I'll have a good night. You know, it's really brief, mm-hmm. and it, it's just encouraging to say, hey, just come back, man. You know, please. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. yeah. and and a hey, they're gonna hug you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A a a they're gonna shake your hand. And a they're like, nah, you gotta give me a hug. Yeah, like, come, come here. This is this is N A. This is an A A. And I really think it's a way to break through a vulnerability. You know, a lot of us are so like, you know, we're vulnerable, but we don't want to show it, you know, early in sobriety. And I think N.A., when you're coming from, you know, those streets, you know, alcoholics, they're not dealing with the streets. They're going to a liquor store, they're buying their booze and they're going home and they're isolating alone and drinking. You know, when you're when you're dealing with the opiates and you're dealing with the streets, you have to be a little bit of a harder person. And mm-hmm. you have to have, like, a harder exterior, like a fucking tortoise, you know, where you have to be really slow-moving and protecting of your environment and your surroundings because you can get robbed at any point because you've probably done some shady shit to somebody on this block, you oh, know? Yeah. And you don't have that kind of fear when you're with alcohol. So I think that's why N.A. does the hug, you know, because it makes you, like, have to be vulnerable before you walk in the door. It makes you have to drop your tough guy exterior tough girl exterior that you wore as a mask on the streets you're in a safe place now give me a hug and sit the fuck down grab a coffee oh yeah you know? and it worked for, it, it you know i was never a tough guy to begin with but i've seen some of the you know biggest like you know biker dudes like na always seems to have like the like bikers in recovery you know yeah. and they're all these like old meth heads that are like in biker gangs back in the day <laughs> that now have like recovery clubs you know and they just show up all on their bikes yeah man and i I see them hugging each other and like where the hell am i like these guys (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, but those were some of the like best meetings though, because NA, oh, you know, yeah. I liked how in in your face they are. I liked yeah, how they get wrong. Yeah, and that's the way I talk. Like if you ever sit in my meetings and you ask me a question and it has to do with yourself and I can give you an answer, then I'm going to be extremely real with you and extremely raw, because this isn't like mental health is not something that we should like mince words about. No. You know? And, you know, that's why we call them mental health check-ins and not, you know, addiction meetings, because it does all tie to mental health. You know, it my oh, yeah. problem. My problem wasn't that I drank my problem or used. My problem was that I used drinking or alcohol as solutions to problems. Yep. You know, so that's why we call them mental health check-ins, because those are the problems we're trying to avoid so that we don't want to use or drink anymore. Yeah, so we don't go down that path. You know, because like everyone has, not everyone, but I think a lot of people that are addicts have trauma in their background. Oh, yeah, dude. So that needs to be addressed in sobriety, because if it's not, then it's going to give us a reason to get higher drunk again the yep. minute it comes up. Yeah, I learned you cannot bury things like today i do not bury things i put everything out there i drop my ego and i'm vulnerable as i need to be in the situation yeah for sure because if not you're only hurting yourself like yeah like it's okay to not be okay it's okay mm -hmm. to feel bad it's okay like if things aren't going your way because guess what shit can turn around again and it will just it be will. just be patient mm -hmm. <laughs> like where man I never thought I would have three years, and I'm sure, like, how did you feel even at one year? I couldn't believe it, man. It was just mind-blowing. But, like, the beginning of my sobriety, um, there wasn't really much to it. I uh, would just go day-to-day -day and just be doing the same thing. I would just ride the wave and um, go with the breeze. And uh, eventually, man, life just became... Uh, stagnant and I was just doing the same thing over and over again and just life was getting down so that's when I decided to probably about a year ago maybe a little bit under a year ago is when I made a self-inventory uh, list of myself wrote everything out and um, yeah it changed a lot once I done that okay so you did a fourth step uh, yeah 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 basically did you, yeah okay so that was was that your first time doing that then uh, yeah, it was my first time, and, uh, you know, I heard people saying that, you know, a whole bunch of good things from it, and I wasn't, you know, really thinking much would come from it, but uh, when I wrote it, much didn't come from it, but once I went back to it and actually read it, and, uh... You read it to somebody else, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Okay, that's the fifth. <laughs> that's the fifth. Um, that, that's the next Yeah, I'm, I'm a little confused on the steps. Yeah, no, yeah, fourth is writing the list and fifth is talking to somebody else about the list. You talk to somebody else okay. and God. Yeah, yeah. I never did finish the steps. I think I got to that one. And that's when I was in, um, when I was in Florida is when I originally started the steps. But when I got back, uh, the time that we're talking about now is when I went through the, uh, the list. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, honestly, I mean, I, I love the steps and I talk about it all the time, even though we're not AA or NA. I think the steps can be used for anything, you know. Hell yeah. Just replace the word alcohol. Yep. yep. Because with that, whatever that is, is making you unmanageable. Just do it on that. You know, because the rest of the steps are about how to be a human, not really anything else. Yeah, it's not going about addiction. Really, yeah. for say. 
No, and and I'm because like I also you know appreciate like the um, like amends we were talking about yesterday, a lot about like making amends and how like sometimes it's it's hard to make amends to certain people because they make it hard for you to do that. Uh-huh. You know, it's almost like I want to apologize, you know, make amends to you, but every time I go to do it, you say something that makes me just like, you know what, you don't, you don't need, you don't need to hear this yet. We're gonna wait another yeah. six months. You know, <laughs> yep, been there, man. And you know, and, and then I had like an old timer, and he was just like, "Yeah, but you remember, people can pass away at any point, and then you gotta live with not being able to say something when you could have." Mm. Damn That's it, good. man! I, yeah, I hate when you make. Damn it, you got me. Yeah, like yeah, I probably will say something to him, eventually. You know, I'm willing right. to. I'm willing, you know. But yeah, and then I've had those ones. You know, I make amends, and uh, they just don't accept it. You know. Um, you tell them you're sorry for this, this, and this, and go over it, and then, you know, they're kind of just like, fuck you. And uh, I've, I've been in that once or twice, and, I, you know, you just got to accept it and just keep moving. Like, I look at it as I tried. Um, it wasn't someone that I'm really close with, but it was someone I'd done wrong to a lot. Uh, so I tried to make amends, and, you know, I was sincere as I could. So, you know, I felt like I put it all out there, so that was good enough. Yeah, I understand yeah. that, you know, everybody can't take take the apology. Yep, for sure. How long did it take into you being sober this time around for you to be able to, like, be around your kid again? Uh, well, actually, uh, what happened was I had to go to court. Um, when she wasn't letting me see my son with the, uh, the Christmas gifts, a couple months after that uh, went by, and this was when I basically just – I getting everything together so i went and got a, a lawyer and then um got right for my son that way okay so you had already had a little bit of sobriety but you had to go yeah. the, okay now but it was one of those things, like i could have took her way and um i don't know how i would have showed you know i'm fit to her so i was like we're just you know take this to the courts and you know just let them handle it yeah so right yeah and at least now you have some more time so i'm sure you have some more rights like yep so that's kind of me yeah and now like uh my relationship with my son's mother is beautiful we co-parent great she's got a boyfriend who's uh who's dad as well and um you know i love them all uh i couldn't i couldn't ask for something more like i've worked so hard to get this relationship with her and now it's here like this is what i dreamed of yeah yeah because you you want a relationship with your kid and you want to be able to be cordial with her you weren't yeah, trying to yeah. be married to her anyway, so you're okay with her being with somebody else because that's yeah. life. Like, uh-huh. we all should be with somebody, like, you know. So, yeah, and that's I cool. Man. It, you know, uh, it's just another guy to be around my son when I'm not there, you know, and teach him things that he should be taught. So, I'm yeah, I'm completely cool with that. Yeah, I feel the same way. I mean, we co-parent, too. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I'm, yeah. his, I'm his stepdad that I came in his life when he was five, you know, and... Oh, no. And we get along with, you know, his dad and, you know, like, for example, like, I'm never going to be able to teach him how to ride a bike because I don't know how, you know. All right. <laughs> now his dad can handle that shit, you know, or his mom. Exactly. Yeah, there's plenty of people now that can help out, you know. But I have also, the, the good thing is that it gives a good balance, too, of different, like, advice, too. It gives more people to give the kid advice and help him out. So, like, right now he just started second grade, you know, this week. So, what are your kids going to kindergarten? First. First grade? First. 
and goodness, he's he's got behavior issues. So this, I've already received two. Like I told you earlier, I've received a phone call from the principal earlier, and um, a couple more last week. So <laughs> it's basically all of us just getting on the same page and figuring out what's going to work for him is where we're yeah. at now. Now that just reminded me, I'm you know ADHD. Uh, did your is your dad still an addiction, or is your dad never an addict, or you said it um, pills from him, so... Yeah, so, back when I was younger, maybe 15, he gotten he fell off a ladder and got uh, real hurt, so he was prescribed uh, pain medicine. He was prescribed that for years, and then, um, from talking to him now, he stated, basically, that uh, they took the script away from him, and he didn't have anything, so he'd go off the street and get pain pills. Um, but when... When I went to my first rehab, uh, what I knew is my dad was just using benzos and pain pills. When I was in the first, sorry, second rehab in Florida, I got a call that he he overdosed um, on heroin. And then that kind of started his journey with heroin. And um, after my grandpa passed away in uh, September of 2019, he, uh, my dad got, <clears throat> excuse me, he was arrested for driving without a license, and he's done it so many times that he spent um, about a year and a half in the penitentiary over it. Um, so now he's out. He's been out for a couple months, and uh, he's doing great. Um, you know, he's trying as well. He's trying to, you know, uh, make his amends with me and uh, my sister with the wrongs that he did and him not showing up. So, um, and you know, that's something I can't I can't hold against him because I know how that is, and I. I was in those shoes, but my son was just younger is the difference, so... Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. It sounds like your dad, you know, was he... It sounds like he was living with his dad, was close yep. as hell with his dad. Oh, you yeah. know, if he's living with his dad at that age, then they're very close. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, if it... Did your grandpa die suddenly? Uh, yeah, so it was... Okay, so good. it wasn't like a slow cancer where he was expecting... It was cancer, but it was... Uh, um, I can't think of the word. It was just real fast. Yeah, progressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So, like, all of a sudden, like, they weren't expecting it to be that fast. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that makes sense that he would, you know, kind of go off the deep end even more, yep. you know. Well, well, especially if he, he might have been just doing pills, and then even with your grandpa's diagnosis, might have even set your dad in the heroin. Oh, yeah. You know, because that's usually, there's usually some kind of trigger that makes you want to step it up. You know, usually, not all the time, but, like, somebody once asked me, like, how come I only sniffed them and I never smoked them and I never shot anything? And and I simply just, I loved, I was addicted to sniffing. I, I The ritual, like, I wanted the ritual of breaking something uh, up and uh. doing the whole thing. And, like, I had people take videos and pictures of their dick and sex and all that, and I had videos on my phone of me snoring lines. Right, you know? that's the shit that get me off, you know? Yeah, like, seriously, like, I go through my snap history, I'm like, oh my god, like, look at all these, like, things that my, like, saved, that I right. would save, like, bragging, like, look at these four lines, they're huge, and I'm about to take them down in a second, you know, like, and I could. So cool, so cool. <laughs> I know, like, you know, I, I, my biggest claim to fame was my McDonald's draw, like, I would always have the McDonald's draws, because they were the fattest ones. And I, and I would drop my pills right into the straw. And uh, just full-size straw, bend it in half, and I would drop it in and then chew the outside. They would all break up into powder inside, extend uh, the straw, and, you know. I've never heard of that. 
Does that yeah. make sense? And, but I would do that while I was driving, because I would drive a lot. Oh. So this way, because I broke all my CD cases, you know, over the years, <laughs> like doing, doing them off a CD case is bullshit. That shit just breaks, yeah. and you just get everything. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so, but I would just do that instead. And, yeah, man, like, that's the insanity is, the insanity is that I was, I was more dangerous on the road without drugs. Mm. Like, I would be driving in Philly traffic and withdrawing so bad and needing to be, like, to vomit while I was driving in traffic. Not, that's not really safe. But if I railed 430s and I was wide awake and I was good to go. Right, on the road. Yeah. And then, you know, you get that, you get that mindset, like, now, you know, I'm a better person when I have the drugs. I can do this, this, and this, and when I don't, I do, I can't do this, this, and this. So it's like, you're making these beliefs in your head, but really, they're just beliefs. I think the scariest thing, though, is with Xanax. Again, Xanax is always, Mm -hmm. um, the last time I remember even doing Xanax was, I was driving my two-hour drive, and I I was on the PA Turnpike, and I was driving through, up to Philly to go over to Jersey, and um, I uh, noticed the signs. I always pay attention to, like, mile markers, you know what I mean, to know right. how far I am away. And I'm like, okay, I'm 30 miles from the exit. So, and I go about, I drive an old Crown Vic, so I drive an old cop car, so I'm always cruising. And I was like, I'll be there in about 20 minutes, like, off the exit at least. And then I came to, and I saw the mile marker, and I was 30 miles past the exit. Oh, shit. So I blacked out for 45 minutes while doing a windy turnpike going 90 miles per hour, dude. I don't know how. Like, I I literally, like, you know, you come to, you know, from a blackout Mm -hmm. and just, like, driving along. Like, I'm, like, looking. Like, I am driving. And I Mm -hmm. notice, like, holy shit, I'm way past my exit now and you know yeah i mean that was i was like all right i can't do xanax and drive ever again yeah that's a curse (laughs) because i i have always blacked out always done dumb shit always been irresponsible always got caught you know like i was never getting caught when i was high on perks but as soon as i was on zannies everyone's calling me out for being high you know yeah (laughs) pull out your pockets and you got all this stuff you don't know where it came from you're like where did this come from and and the craziest thing is is like i would do like 150 milligrams of percus like oxy but mm-hmm. uh, it's only two milligrams of those motherfuckers that make you lose control God. yeah like you need like you know a couple hundred of oxy but just in the xanax and i only need like one or two milligrams the first time i got them i'm like i don't know what do i need 10 of them they're only one milligram a piece i'm gonna need 10 of these things you know, they're like, no, it's not, not the same close. as, the, no, it's not the same kind of milligram. I'm like, okay, I trust you. Um, so you don't go to meetings anymore, though. Going back on topic. Okay. Is, was it COVID that slowed things down or was it just you got uninterested or? Um, I basically got more interested with myself and what I can do to change. So what I would basically do is audit my time. By audit my time, I'm meaning, um, what am I doing throughout the day that's not serving me in a way? How, how much time am I spending on my phone? How much time am I, you know, just spending doing stupid shit? So I'd 
would figure out what that is, and the next day I would, you know, um, instead of being on my phone, I might go work a puzzle. I might uh, do something that's going to give me some knowledge where I can execute some action, something that's uh, going to put me in a better space. So that's one of the first things I started doing, and I basically just got addicted to it, addicted to just making myself a better person. So I strive, you know, uh, just to be a, a culture of progress within myself, be better than I was yesterday, last month, last year. Uh, just keep trying to get a little bit better each day than I was the day before. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, you know, it's about becoming whole again, you know, because we were, like, empty and shallow of a people mm. before. And, you know, with pretty much nothing to live for. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I didn't feel like I had anything to live for towards the end. no. And, you know, you can say kids and all that, but that's all well and good when you can see them. But you can't see your kids when you're in addiction because no one wants you to see your kids. You barely even want your kids to see you at that point. So uh, who does need me? Why should I be here? Yeah, why should I be here? No one needs me around anyway. Yep. So, you know, and at least now you know that you're worth something, you know, and that obviously you know you're good enough with and staying with your kid that the principal calls you when your kid gets in trouble right like <laughs> like you're uh, on the list you're on the exactly, list for them to call exactly years ago that that would not have been the case i would have not have been able you could have not accounted me counted on me for anything and now i'm just so reliable and yeah. always open with my son like if he needs something i'm there i'm going to get it you know yeah that's awesome the fact that like you're on the call list you know for an issue and that you could answer that call and be relied on, you know, to be there. That's, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, that I'm sure your ex feels great about that now. Not I'm having sure. to feel like she's by herself and doing this all alone. Now she's got two guys to help her. Yeah, <laughs> like, like a little example, my, uh, I had to go pick up my son from school last Friday because uh, some stuff was going on. And, uh, you know, I was upset at first because he's not doing what he's supposed to. I'm talking to him on the phone. He's not doing what he's supposed to, not listening to me. And as I'm driving up to school, you know, it hits me like, yeah, I'm upset. But, you know, if I was in my active addiction, like, I wouldn't even been able to be in this situation. So I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful to be here and, to, you know, to be able to go get my son when he's bad. Like, they, and, like his mom can count on me now. And this just feels amazing yeah that's that is amazing because but before it would have been like her cursing you Mm -hmm. the entire time of going to pick him up she you would have been not the bad guy in the narrative because let's be real when when it's like when i got in trouble in the school they didn't call my mom you know what i mean they called my dad Mm -hmm. (laughs) so yeah exactly they want to make sure the dad knew you know when it yep. was bad so like yeah i get that and the fact that before she had to be the one like uh, as a single mom like was he like in daycares and shit like that too and she yeah. had to get phone yeah. calls at daycares yeah, like hey like he's being bad in daycare today what do you, can he do something about this or can you come get him because i doubt it just started this year right like yeah been, no yeah. definitely not that's so, been ongoing yeah, so at least now you're not, like, the bad guy in her narrative when, you know, and... Right. Kids acting out, it's... It, it, I'm sure it's confusing, too, for him, and it is what, you know... Yeah. You guys will work on it. You guys are working on it. 
and your co-parents in it, then that's what's important for him, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, of course, you know, it's my first child, so, you know, to be honest, of course, you know, I'm going to fail from time to time and not know <laughs> what I'm doing, but those failures are uh, really not considered failures to me. They're more of like a, a learning lesson. Like, I can learn from that, pick that, not not to do that next time, you know? Yeah, and that, and even as you get older, too, like, especially once you get over 30, you're really going to realize, like, oh, our parents were really just trying to figure this out as they went along, too. Right, they're just but... doing their best. <laughs> they were doing the best with what they had. <laughs> And they didn't have Google when they had us, you know. They didn't, oh, no. they, I can only imagine. They, they had to actually read the books and show up. <laughs> yeah. And, you know. Different game, different ball game. And you actually had to answer a phone and be home to answer a phone and not, like, because there wasn't no cell phones. Phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, you do realize that the more you go, like, and you give them a break and kind of you give them a pass, you know. Yeah, yeah. Especially yeah, like when, how old were you when you started noticing your dad was a, a, like just doing not drugs but like taking pills every day? Um, was that maybe older? fourteen or fifteen. I probably didn't know exactly that he was using, but he was uh, he'd be gone all night and would come home like two or three in the morning, and my mom and him would argue. So kind of knew something was up, but uh, for him actually, for me actually knowing that he was using drugs, it was probably. Um, probably about maybe even twenty. But they, were they they were together when you were like fourteen or fifteen? So your parents? Yeah, yeah. So they were together for years, and then uh, basically what took them breaking up was uh, me saying something to my mom. She wasn't happy. My sister wasn't happy. Um, but my mom just wanted to make sure we was all on the same page. And once you know, I told her I wasn't happy. Then uh, she ended up uh, splitting up and getting her own place. Are you older than your sister or younger? Uh, I'm the youngest. I got uh, an older sister and an older brother. Oh, okay. So you're the youngest at three then. What yes. are you, I'm the oldest at three. What are your age differences? Uh, my brother, he's 37, and my sister, she's uh, 30. Okay. Yeah, so we're pretty close. Yeah, we're kind of similar. My I'm you know 35, and then my brother is 31. He'll be 32. And my sister is 25. So we're all, like, in, like, that same kind. Yeah. So it's definitely a different kind of dynamic when you have, like, that one gap, though, (laughs) of years. Like, where two are closer in age, but one is a little bit, one is older. So it's usually, um, there's always that one in, uh, you know, uh, children of three. Yeah, exactly. Now, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Are any of them addicts? Your brother and uh, sister? My brother, my brother, um, he was uh, real bad into meth and heroin. Uh, okay. For, for many, many years, he was a, a tattoo artist, and he tattooed for most of his life going around. Um, Is that where places. you got? Yeah, that's that... basically where I got all my ink. Um, and, yeah, he uh, went to jail over um, something non-drug related, and then once he got out, uh, he straightened up his life, and he's probably got about three years. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so... so you both got some time then. Yeah, yeah, so it's it's super nice to know, you know, that my brother's in recovery too, and he's doing well, and it's just nice to see, you know, someone else strive in recovery like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I cliches, everyone hates them, but they're cliches for a reason, because they do work. You know, mm-hmm. like, it works if you work it, and, you know, all that bullshit, like, it does. Like, I hate to admit it. Yeah, yep. It's it's the truth though. Yeah. 
So that's, you know, I just, I just didn't want to go back to AA because they don't like, you know, I use cannabis in my recovery. And uh -huh. I have a medical card. I went to a rehab that taught me how to use cannabis as a medicine in LA called High, Sobri cool. called High Sobriety. And um, so I've been clean since. So, but AA didn't like that I talked about that kind of shit. Yeah. And they're really conservative in PA and they even didn't like when I mentioned pills. You know, like you gotta really? say you gotta say alcohol. You can't say pills. Wow. Um, I'm like, yeah, I fucking drove two hours for alcohol. Okay. <laughs> right. Because there was no alcohol close by. It's the only alcohol I could find or trust. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. You know, so and now I'm afraid to relapse, honestly, because of fentanyl. Mm -hmm. You know. Oh yeah, you never know. I mean, these days, like we was when we was out using, you know, fentanyl wasn't huge, but now it's. It's an occurrence every day and everything. Yeah, like 70,000 out of the 93,000 people that overdosed last year was fentanyl. What? Yep, 70 out of 93. So the other 23,000, they overdosed from benzos, alcohol, opiate, whatever. You know, like eight, like some of them were some, like barely any were just heroin. But 70 out of 93 is oh fentanyl related. Yeah, like, I'm afraid because they're in pills, man. Like, they're putting yeah. them in pills now. Pressing them in pills. Yeah, like, I now, you know, before, 130 wouldn't kill me, but now it could. Yeah. You know? So, and I, I just, I'm not trying to go out on a relapse. Right. I know too many people. That the last one will be, the, or the next one will be the last one, you know? Yeah, a, a guy I was close with, he used to always say, like, um, like, right now we have a choice. Like, right now, I have a choice to not get high or not get drunk. But as soon as I do it, I lose that choice. Mm-hmm. As soon as I get high again, I lost that choice. That I lose that power. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, and he actually did relapse. He mm -hmm. relapsed after 18 months in his 40s and from meth. And um, he was my sober living manager. Oh, at, the, at the time he wasn't showing up for a couple of days turns out i saw him in an na meeting a few days later you know when he was allowed back out again because he went into rehab again and um he was like dude as soon as i shot it i went into instant psychosis and wow. and um yeah. it wasn't any better yep and so but i was talking to somebody else and they were like just because he relapsed doesn't mean his lessons that he taught you weren't valid True. You know, just because, you know, just because he had a moment of, you know, whatever, and he fucked up and he shot up again, doesn't uh -huh. mean that all the other stuff that he said in the past that you've taken, it isn't, like, worthless now. Like, that's all still very, like, good stuff. He just, he wasn't thinking of those things when he got high. Uh -huh. You know, when you know more than anybody, more than me, like, relapse, Whenever you're relapsing, the last thing you're thinking of is all of the other bullshit that can keep you from stopping. Once you oh, made, yeah. once you made up your mind, it's a wrap. Once, yeah, there's no talking you out of it. Oh, call your sponsor before you get high so you don't do it. Yeah, that's who I'm gonna call before I get you know before I relapse. Yeah. Somebody to talk me out of it. No, you yeah. don't. Once you made up your mind, that's you the don't last wanna, thing you want to hear. Yeah, you don't want to. It's wanna like talk once to you anybody. get high in your head, you're already high. Yeah, ex yeah, once you get high in your head, yep, that is the truth, because there's no talking you out of it, you know, I knew somebody that, you know, he'd be like, yep, I wouldn't call my sponsor ever, I'd hop on the bus and go right to the stop and go right to where I needed to get, 
go right to the Starbucks that I knew I could use in their bathroom, and I'd be done. I had already had it all planned out before I even got on the bus. Yep, yep. You know. So that's the insanity, man. It's, you know, nice that we don't have to live that way anymore. It's nice that we have a choice now. Yeah, nice that man. we get, get things back, get our families back. You know, it sounds like you're starting to get yours now that your dad's out, and he's he's trying to do better. Your brother's got a few years. you got a few years. You know, that's awesome, man. And you can see your son. So, yeah, I mean, so everything's good. So with all that and everything that I've learned and been through all the relapse, I'm now in the process of uh, um, making a – uh, something like a class or a course on uh, helping people in recovery who basically just live a stagnant life and, you know, they want to get their soul filled, basically help them do that. So, um, you know, I plan on doing a lot more service here within the next year and just going all in. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, Facebook groups for that kind of thing, too, that you could do or, um, you know, book. You know, you could do even classes, like Zoom classes and shit, mm -hmm. you know. Or if you wanted to do something in person, it doesn't take much to get a small space together. You know, no, it don't. And put some it chairs don't. around and throw a coffee machine out. Trust me, that's what we, you know what I mean? Hell and yeah, then you, you promote it on Facebook, like, hey, we're here this day, and, you know, make it a thing. You know, get your own yeah. community. It doesn't have to be AA. You can be your own community. That's, I, you know, I want to inspire people to do this, too, everywhere, like and start your own kind of meetings everyone always talks about meetings like oh i want to do that i wish i would could do this you can do it <laughs> you yeah can. man like like what you're doing is uh beautiful man it's amazing and uh i think it's really great thank you so cool, thank man. you i love what i do here that's for sure that's why i spend so much time doing it spend time doing podcasts to get even more stories out there you know, and that's what makes our sobriety stronger, you know, is uh, helping others. What's that one, one behind you with the head? This one? Uh, Looks like Mount Rushmore, yeah. Yeah, that's the Mount Rushmore of comedians. Uh... Oh, wow. That's uh, George Carlin as Washington, and then Seinfeld, and then Richard Pryor, and then Dave Chappelle. Okay. okay. Oh, wow, that's so cool. Hell yeah. When I was in L.A., I met an artist, um, a muralist um, named Muckrock in A.A. And she's like, she's done work for Dave Grohl even. You know what I Whoa. mean? Like, she's like big. And like, all of like, these are her. In her, oh, front, in her front yard of Venice, she would just. What? Yeah, like, uh, she gave me my leg lamp and everything. Hell yeah. Like, we would hang out in her front yard in Venice and do a meeting, and then she would do tattoos. That's cool. And there's still oh. meetings there every... There's two meetings a day in her front yard every single day, even though she's not even uh. living there anymore. Yeah. She kept the place and made it into a recovery place. Wow, that's but like, Yeah, she's such a good painter, though, that she has that house in Venice, a studio in Venice, and a house in San Pedro. Like, and all she does is paint all day long. So that's how good she does. And so I had her paint me that because, like, I used to do stand-up comedy. So, like, those oh, okay. are my, that's my Mount Rushmore of comedians. And I had her do that one. That's uh, my higher power, Bill Murray. Yeah, that's dope. That's what that was. I had him, Bill Murray as Jesus. I, last year I hit her up and I was like, hey, I need um a Bill Murray commission, but I want him, like, as Jesus, like that. 
She's like, hell yeah, that's awesome. I'm on it. I'm like, what age do you want him? Like, I was like, uh, make it like Caddyshack years. She's like, okay. That is so cool, man. So, so yeah, cool. she's done a, she'll be out here. She's doing a tour this fall where she tours the country. Dude, she's been out your way. She's huge in your city. Is she? Yeah, Muckrock. That sounds familiar. Dude, she made the world news in Indianapolis a couple of years ago. I'm going to look her up when we get done. Muck rock. Um, all one word. Indiana is like her, her, she's not even from there. But for some reason, she is so popular in your state. Everyone. What? Yeah, if you just type in Indiana with her name, it's everywhere. Um, especially in your city. She was in the world news a couple of years ago because obviously like larry bird is like your savior in your state uh-huh. you know what you mean <laughs> and someone had her do a larry bird um fucking mural on the side of their house and she added a bunch of tattoos because she does a thing called mucking it up where she adds tattoos to like popular culture uh-huh. so she had this it was a giant you can even google now i don't care if you're if you yeah if you just type in yeah type in muck rock and larry bird and um she had to go back out there and cover it up because larry bird was gonna sue her what yeah because he's not a tattoo guy so he didn't appreciate all the tattoos oh is this the one you're talking about let me see if i can yep yep that's yeah that's her yep that was it yep that's the one gosh that is so cool dude she is all over and actually she she got in trouble also because of a restaurant in your city. The restaurant, um, type in Muckrock Bunnies. You say bunnies? It, yeah, bunnies, like B-U-N-N-I-E-S. Um, she does these bunnies all over the place, and a restaurant had her do it on the side of the restaurant, and it was near no, a school. Is that it? Yeah, and she had to go back out there, and she had to paint over it because the people were complaining because it was near a school. <laughs> yeah, I forget what I forget what restaurant it was. Um Muckrock. It was outside restaurant. Because it made the paper and everything. The Indie Star. I'm looking yeah. oh, no, that's a different one. Oh, the Indie Star shows all the ones that she that's the place right there. Cause he and she ends up doing this. Uh, as okay. as like a fuck okay. you, she put that instead. Um, oh, yeah, I've seen that. The Beholder on the side of the Beholder restaurant. It's located on 10th Street. Okay. So yeah, all of these want like Indiana is the, the Indy Star site. Is that where you're at? Yep. Dude, yeah, that's all. Isn't that crazy? All the all that work she did. This is really nuts that I had no idea about this. Yeah, so if you tag her on Instagram, she, like, reposts it all the time, too. Like, on her Instagram, her story is so fun to watch because you can see a painting happen. You see her show up to an empty wall and showing it. You see um, her fiancé, Kyle, is always, like, recording for her while she's painting. They have two dogs. They're giant bloodhounds, and they hang out while she paints and shit. Um, Definitely, yeah. Yeah, when you see it, it, you're going to start noticing watch now you're gonna see them everywhere yeah, you're gonna hit me up. Gonna see in it. 
Yeah, send me pictures. Like, hey, do you guys seen this, man? Yeah, yeah, you got my you got my shit now. Send me something, whatever you find in Muckrock in the wild. Let me know, because I love seeing them, like, you know, real life, you know? Yeah, I'm going to definitely be on the lookout for sure. That's so cool. Yeah, she'll be back through Indiana during the fall, because that is her spot now, because your, your, your state and your city has shown her so much love that she always ends up there for, like, a month. I swear, Liv. Uh-huh. A year ago, she was stuck there for, like, a month. I was waiting on her to come through, and I well, didn't even see her because, like, she was, like, stuck there for... No, it was two years ago. She was stuck there for a month. Like, not even kidding. Like, she's like, dude, I'm trying to leave. I just keep getting more calls and more calls to do more work, and I can't leave the work. And oh I like, hear you. Yeah, so your city and your and your state have shown her the most love by that far. That is awesome to hear. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, so definitely let me know when you see that. Um, I'm gonna let yeah, you go though. I'm gonna let you go though. So, but it was right, awesome, it, awesome talking to you, dude. I, it was yeah, such dude, a fun yeah, time. Yeah, awesome to do well, man. And uh, thanks for the opportunity of letting me come on here and speak, man. I greatly appreciate that, and I can't thank you enough.